everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is still what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Of course, of course it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. I should point out that I included uh, for this month the story that Stephen P. Kiernan tells about receiving inspiration from a boys' choir in France. It was a long story. It was a great story, so I dedicated an entire video interview just to that or a clip. So go check that out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the great people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Uh, like I said, we just finished up our conference. I had a great time, met a lot of great people. We're going to, you know, it'll happen again next year. Writers contest, conference. There'll be classes at the, uh, at the PNWA between now and then. Go check it out, pnwa.org. So like a lot of the uh, guests I have, I'm not always familiar with their work until I meet them in the form of an interview. But today's guest, Robert McCain, wasn't familiar with his work. But man, if you are a fan of literary fiction, you're going to want to check out Mending What is Broken. Just a gorgeous writer. Uh, great story. Um, and we had a fantastic conversation about writing and just his love of crafting paragraphs and the people he populates his stories with. All his stories take place in Western, a, a sort of fictitious Western Pennsylvania town called Ganego, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he's published three books, the short story collection, I'll Be Here For You, Diary of a Town, uh, Cat, The Catalog of Crooked Thoughts, and then finally, um, Mending What is Broken, his most recent release. He has been nominated or won numerous awards, and he's regularly gets great reviews, and like I said, we had a great conversation, and I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right, there he is, Robert McCain. Robert, how you doing? Book number. Well, I'm doing all right, Bill. Yeah? 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 Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, like I said, uh, the uh, Mending What is Broken, that's, is it, is it really just book number three? Yes. Okay. So this is, but is it novel number two? There's a collection of short stories. Yes, exactly. There's okay. In between, it's uh, the novel sandwich, the short stories. Gotcha. Um, but I kind of get the feeling you've been writing for a while, that, that you didn't come to this after a career in the Navy or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, is that fair? Yes. Yes. I, I, I can give you a capsule history of my writing career, if you wish. Uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suss it out on my in my own unique okay. way. I think. <laughs> um, All right. I always like to know. One of the things I'm interested in sometimes is when a person. I know it's kind of a strange question, but when you got interested in the concept of story, like you recognize, like stories are interesting to me. Because I will tell you, there are people in my life who I've known who just aren't interested in stories. Like you try to tell them one, and they just they other people. Most of my friends are story lovers, but not all of them. So. When did you get interested in just the concept of stories, that it's a thing worth paying attention to? Yes. Um, and I, I know the people you're talking about who are <laughs> interested in stories, they cut you off. Oh, um, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Here's here's a, here's a story uh, okay. that I think, to me, was, was meaningful. We moved. My family moved not very far, but it put me into a different school system when I went into fifth grade, about 11 years old. 
Okay. And the teacher um, wanted us to be to be readers. So she said we should all pick a book on the shelf and read it, and then we would talk about it and so on. I chose out of nowhere, really, Wendy and Peter. Peter Wendy? Went. Okay. Peter, Peter, okay. Um, oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And I loved it. It was a, it was, I loved the book. I loved the, the, the prose, the story of Peter Pan. And this was also the time when Mary Martin was on television and so on. But I also loved the fact that it was a book. It was a real book, I was reading. It was the oh. first real book. Oh, interesting. It was thick. It had, right. you know, small print, you know, hundreds of pages. And that drew me in. That story drew me in. And I didn't, I didn't become, decide to become a writer at that point. In fifth right. But um, it began a lifetime love affair with writing, with novels, with stories. And I've always been a voracious reader. I'm not a voracious rememberer sometimes. But... <laughs> I, I do love to read, and and I think that just played right into the writing, into uh, into storytelling, because I wanted to do that too. That's interesting. You when you you get the Peter and Ma Mary and Peter, it's Mary and Peter, not Peter and Mary. Okay, Mary and Peter, and it's a real book, so it's not a kid's book, not like a little slim. And that, what did that make you feel grown up, or did it feel more real? Did it what what? I, that's the first time I've heard that described in that way. And I talked to a lot of writers, so just talk, take me back to that moment. If you were yeah. writing a character who had just found his first real book, what what magic did you perceive in that? You know, I can almost pull back the time that I thought that. And I, I'm sure that's false memory. Right. Well, I'm not right. sure of that, but but right. my guess it is. But it was like I was sitting with it in my hand, hands, and it 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 was what my brothers did. It was what my mother did. My mother was very right. sometimes my father, and then and, and so it, I was like joining. <laughs> I was joining the human community or something. Right. I don't know what went through my. So head. you're the youngest. You're the youngest in your family. Yeah, I got two older brothers. Okay, yeah. all right. I was the baby. You were the baby, and okay. So you discover it. You want to do it. You want to tell stories. Do you remember yeah. the first story you finished writing? Maybe you were. 12 maybe you were 30 i don't know <laughs> um well i did write a story um i'm trying to place an age for me you know uh, 13 i don't know that's a guess yeah uh, um it was a good story actually it was a story a guy buys a used car and it turns out the radio is kind of alive it's a science fiction kind of story oh cool science oh. Fiction. yeah yeah, so, yeah. You know, so the radio is sort of alive and then his, his radio is talking to him entertaining him and then the radio just leads him to his death and that was the end of the story. I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a Stephen King kind of story. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so you mentioned science fiction. I think the stuff you write now would be placed, unless I'm misunderstanding something from what I'm reading, squarely in what was termed literary fiction, just plunked right on that shelf. Is that a fair fair yeah, categorization? I, I, I certainly hope so. Okay. Uh, so, because there's a lot of things a person can write, and I confess that once I once I started reading fantasy voraciously when I was a kid, and but it wasn't too long before I discovered certain writers, and that was that I would moved into what is generally called literary fiction. Um, but you can write a lot of things. You can write a lot of things, you know. And I I, I circulate with writers. You probably do too. And there's people sure. love all kinds of things. So what drew you to that kind of storytelling, particularly literary storytelling? Yeah, what we call literary. What is 
loosely termed literary fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, again, I go back to my reading. I was I read in college. I, I had insomnia back then. I haven't I've had insomnia off and on all my life. Right. I uh, my junior year. Yeah, I'm gonna say my junior year of college. I read War and Peace. You did. Um, yeah, I, I read it in the middle of the night. You know? Okay, all right. Ten pages and go to sleep, or I'd read a hundred right. pages and go to right. sleep. Um, and then I started reading other Russian novels. You know, the nineteenth-century novels. Yeah. Oof. Okay. And and it was just there was just nothing in my life like that. When I was a senior, I think junior, senior, I read uh, Doctor Shivago and, and did a book report on it. So, I, um, so. I was drawn into complex stories. I yeah. love stories of many characters. I, I, I'm not one who minds going back to the list of principal characters to find out who is this. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> it makes me, it makes, makes me kind of weird. I guess. <laughs> but um, so I, the complexity uh, of, 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 of writing. My, my aunt was an English teacher all her life, a tremendous woman. She gave me Under the Volcano when oh, I was like right. a sophomore in college, I read it. I didn't understand a word of it. Right. But but I treasured it. Uh, and then when I read that book five years later, I got to the end of it. I turned around with page one and started in it. And read wow. It a second wow. I mean, it was so compelling, the console. Uh, uh, it was so compelling. And, you know, I read lots and lots of Malcolm Lowry after that. I read lots of Tolstoy after that, Dostoevsky. All of these writers were doing something which I thought was more than magic. I mean, they were doing something really supernatural to me. And I just wanted to be part of that, that group. Yeah. I wanted to get on the raft. I felt like I was swimming alongside of it. And I wanted to get up on the raft. You know, one of the things about these kinds of stories, I think, is I always felt why I was drawn to this kind of writing, whether it was poetry or um, fiction or Movies also, and I think to some degree, and sure. certain kind of music, which was really important to me. Um, I always felt it it pointed to an aspect of life that I lost track of that seemed to matter, but I would get to, I could lose track of in my day to day striving and despairing and yearning. <laughs> so, what they kind of felt like it connected to me connected me to what actually mattered, uh -huh. the thread that could have can get lost in all the the yeah. circus. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a deep, deep seam of humanity in the great literature that that it, it electrifies us. I mean, it yeah. nourishes us is a better word. Yeah. And we get too far away from that. Writers, readers, we get too far away from that. We're missing, we're missing that nourishment. I mean, people say to me, Do you read crime books or yeah. uh, I, I say, No, there's not enough time in life. <laughs> Oh, I'm reading Kafka now. I'm yeah, rereading right. Kafka. I mean, how could you pick up a crime book when you've well, the, you're the, oh, come on, that's easy. All right. It's uh, easy. I, I, I'm a snob. That's all right. You're going to be a snob because people who would say, "Why pick up Kafka when you could pick up Harlan Coben?" <laughs> they don't understand. You know, it's interesting. I interviewed Richard Bach, who's a lovely guy, interesting guy, mm -hmm. and he was, you know, in the '70s because he was just enormous in the '70s. He got to sit down yeah. with Truman Capote. And um, Kurt Vonnegut, mm. one other person, and he was immensely disappointed because all they uh, talked about was money and agents. 
All they talked about was money in Asia. So anyone can get it. You got you, everyone can get affected by it, infected by that, uh, yeah. for sure. All right, now give me the encapsulation of your writing. Now that we've gone into the this the sort of psychology and emotional thing that drew you to it, just for our for our listeners, the the uh, crib note version of what brought you to novel book number three, novel number two. Um, well, mending what is broken grew out of a short story. As all as my other novels have, and the unpublished novels have, um, what is called the teardown story, and it's essentially the first chapter of the book. Mm. And I wrote the story; it was published in a small journal, and I thought I was done with it. But it wasn't done with me. And as a writer, you probably know this: sometimes things come back and haunt you. Yeah, they're not finished, even yeah. though they are finished, they aren't finished. Right, and especially the main character, Peter Sangmadolce. He was very unlike any other character I'd ever drawn. I mean, he's a big man, physically big. He's overweight. That's part of the book. Right. He's tall. He's imposing. He's smart. He's observant. He's been a man of business. He inherited from his father a business and employed several hundred people, you know, medium-sized business, had a legacy of decades. So you would think he was, you know, resolute, self-confident, and so on and so on. But he's riven by self-doubt. He's filled with remorse, having lost that business of his father's in an economic downturn. He's lost his second marriage. And when the book opens, he's threatened with the loss of his shared custody rights to the daughter he adores. Um, Probably the massive contradiction. Essentially, Peter Peter was too good to lose. I didn't know what, if I went on with it, what would be in chapter two or chapter three. I, I really didn't know where this book might go. Right. But it had to go somewhere, I felt. And so that's where I began, oh, I don't know, probably eight years ago. I don't know how long it's been. Wow. Okay. So the story, the story goes back to 2010. I looked that up the other day. I don't remember when I started the novel, some years after that. Do you have a kind of a, and I never pronounced this place correctly, a Yonkpa Patonkwa County thing going on over there a little bit? Is I, there... I, 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 never, I never embark on that sentence because I know I'm not going to get it right. <laughs> It's brave of me to record myself while I'm doing it. We, people, just for our listeners, who may, this is Faulkner had his imaginary county in, in which I guess was Oxford, Mississippi, essentially, but right. Mississippi, where he set most of his stories. And it sounds like you do a bit of that yourself. I do. I do very much. All my life, I've written about one small corner of the world, Western Pennsylvania, the mill towns, the steel mill towns. Suddenly, that's where I grew up, and that's what I write about. Man. Suddenly, you're the most relevant writer in America. Suddenly, <laughs> your characters are what is shaping this entire country for, since that's 2016, apparently. Yeah. Well, at the moment, it's true. <laughs> yeah, right? Little did you know. Little did, well, actually, I'm joking, but I'll bet you when all this, when all the, the politics started roiling around what we're going through, you must have recognized, I imagine, some of what was being talked about, some of the disappointment, some of the frustration and the anger and the mis that that led to the people you write about probably voting for the people he would have they would have voted for. And, yeah, yeah. Right? You um, probably recognized it. Yeah, exactly. Um in the nineteen eighties, the mills began to disappear. Yeah. And the mill that had centered the town I write about, my t- fictional town is called Ganego, but it's really loosely based on a real town. Loosely based on a real town. And that town had one steel mill and employed 15,000 people at its peak, men and women. Uh, everybody's daddy worked there. And right. some of the mothers worked there. And their aunt, my aunt in World War II worked there. Wow. And 
it was there had been there for 80 years it, they built the town they owned the town they owned the, they owned the government they owned the schools they owned everything I mean, the, the company owned that whole town it's a company town that's right. what a, in our company store in our company town 1983 they're gone wow all those people out of work right all those lives disrupted yeah. um and that's what happened throughout the midwest of course it's not just one and you've got a group of people not trained for change in a way like not like really like culturally like hypnotized to ex like things are going to stay a certain way it's not about moving around it's like this is it stability and it's suddenly boom yeah yeah wow I mean, I mean people left high school to go right into the mill um that's a little depressing though i mean i know it's stable but there's also a kind of anyway well you know what that's the because that's how i view the i'm creative and I don't want to go work in any mill ever but I guess <laughs> you know but maybe it was comforting in a way also well it, it's it's what you just said I mean it's what they knew yeah um, uh and, and it's what their fathers had done and their grandfathers had done and and it was a good life I mean it was a very right. thriving stable were, life and right there, there, the, the amount of ethnic uh identities in this town when I was growing up was just amazing I mean there were probably 15 different languages in that wow. town. Really? And each one had their own social, you know, this is the Polish yes. club, this was the Serbian club, this was the Russian American club, this is the Ukrainian club. Right. Uh, and, you know, their weddings, uh, you know, um, when I was growing up, my best friends were Serbians. And I loved their weddings. <laughs> God, we <loved> their weddings. <laughs> Who's getting married now? This right. right. Um, so it was, it was a way of life that disappeared. Right. And, and and that's that's worth writing about. I mean, it's worth talking about. You know, I'm, I would be remiss not to mention this, but I want to see if I can get a question out of it, not simply heap some praise on you. But uh, I I felt that you could, if a reader likes to write, but also likes to read, but if they like to write. Um, my experience of mending what is broken is a kind of masterclass in rendering the world, the storytelling, which is one thing but in terms of and i don't like to get overly focused on the writing but i so enjoyed it i so enjoyed how you rendered the world on a sentence to sentence level that wow. you clearly relished it and it was very enjoyable and surprising and clear so there's my well done to you for if you care you. but what i sensed reading it because i was really enjoying it and I was like, oh, that's so, oh, that was just how I would have said it. Oh, I wouldn't have thought, well, oh, that was so good. But I think when you, when you write that way, because you're really trying to say, okay, just how do I describe that loaf of bread? And how do I paint this? How do I really paint this, right? There's accuracy. You're looking for that artistic accuracy. But it seems to me that you take that much time. Don't you also discover in the process? Isn't there kind of a level of discovery happening also that goes beyond just, okay, I nailed that description. I nailed that description. In other words, that informs something that you didn't even understand about the thing you were writing about until you rendered it accurately. Does that make sense? Yes, it certainly does. I mean, in my terms, my metaphors, I write paragraph by paragraph. I mean, sentence yeah. by sentence, but truly yeah. paragraph by paragraph. I mean, right. I love paragraphs. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm passionate about paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, my metaphor is I sit on a paragraph like a, like a mother hen on an egg until the damn thing hatches. And right. sometimes I'll, I'll get 15, and this is not an exaggeration, I'll have 15 versions of, of the damn paragraph. Really? Before it breaks apart. And I say, oh, God, that's what this paragraph is about. 
Oh, and it was see. with those details and working with those details and trying to get the essence of a picture. Yep. Um, I remember one from the book myself. Um, Peter, through Peter's eyes, he says it's, it's the valleys uh, in, 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 in twilight because you know, it's very hilly terrain. Yeah. The valleys are, uh, had the hue of tea. And when I hit that, I love tea, but when right. I hit that, I knew that's what I was trying to describe. Right, right. I'd seen that somewhere. I knew that that, and then it, it, I can't tell you how deep into the book, how many revisions I was into that book before I hit that particular metaphor. It didn't come first. <laughs> it right, right. It didn't come in the fifth version. You know, it came late. So. Do you let yourself, so, you know, th it doesn't surprise me, and I love that you think in paragraphs, and it yeah. sounds like you treat the paragraph like its own little story in a way. It has its own little beginning, middle, and end, yeah. its own little tension, its own purpose for being there. Purpose, yeah. Yeah, I still remember I was reading, I was 24, 5, and I was reading Old Man in the Sea for uh, second time. And uh -huh. I was I'd writing my first novel. I'd written a bunch of other stuff, but not. And I, what I just remembered finishing like a, a paragraph, and I thought, and I looked back, I was like, oh, every paragraph is serving this very specific purpose. Like I really got what he was trying to achieve in this one, trying to achieve is that one. And I love the deliberateness of it. And that's what I thought of as you mentioned your love yeah. of paragraph. But I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about it because a, par it, a paragraph is a complete thought, right? It's a complete right. thought that's connected. But what's interesting, connected to what came before it and what comes, has to be connected or else it doesn't work, right? Right, right. So it right. still has to be connected. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn that as a young writer. I mean, I would have uh, you know, a character, a not a very intelligent character doing a not a very intelligent thing. And then I have this beautiful paragraph of description. Right. <laughs> yeah. who's, who's thinking this? Right, <laughs> right. This guy getting drunk, you know, right. where did this come from? So you, you had to learn how to bring all that together and you had to have the right character to do that. Right. Do you teach? Do you teach uh, something? It feels <laughs> like you might teach something. <laughs> something. Um, well, you could teach literature, you could teach history, you could teach writing. I've, I've taught uh, uh, as an adjunct instructor in, in, in colleges and so on. What I did, I was a teacher all my life, but not teacher of fiction. Um, oh, I owned a business. I started a business, a consulting business, when I was starving to death because uh -huh. of writing wasn't going to bring me any money. Right. Um, so I was what's called a trainer. We, so we, I had a company, a consulting company. We'd go into, into larger companies and put on seminars for their employees. And I taught uh, technical and scientific writing to engineers and PhDs. Oh, really? Business writing to, to, to salesmen and speech. I taught speech. Um, presentations, we called it. And then I had people who did management training and so on. So, yeah, I've been a teacher and I've all been teaching all my life, but in a, a sort of oh, hey. professional path. I love the kind of teaching you're talking about. I I, I coach people, uh, and one of the people I coach was a woman who writes oh. TED Talks. I did not know oh, that, wow. that was a, but wow. yes, she said, and the reason she does it, I was thinking that we mentioned the science, is that a lot of the people who have a TED Talk, not all of them, but a lot of scientists, because they've got some discovery, some thing they've <laughs> learned, and she said they can't, she came from a world of journalism, and she was just, yeah. they don't know what a story is if you them over the head with it it's all just numbers and like i'm gonna give you the numbers and she had to teach them about turning their thing into a story and i suspect you went through 
some of that with well with every every everything is better when presented in a story i'm for i firmly believe yeah 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 engineers and scientists they were a joy to work with they they were like really bright little children (laughs) (laughs) that's how they'd want to be described i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) they were great students they would listen to me avidly not because i'm a great teacher but because no one had ever talked about this with them right right um yeah yeah one of the things this is i'll just throw this out what the hell um one of the things I laid on in my teaching career with scientists, particularly, one of the things I really learned was what I could try, what I could really teach them was read what you've written. Just read the words. Read it aloud. Read it no, aloud. Well, oh. no, that, I, that doesn't matter. What I'm getting at is just read what the words are. I find a paragraph that was incoherent. You know, it's full of facts and everything, but right. it's really incoherent. No story. And I'd say, let's read this together. We read it together. And I say, what does that sentence mean? I mean, why does that sentence fall <laughs> right, right. And they're bright people. So finally, they would look at it and take it in. This is what I've written. And uh, time after time, they would say, you're right. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Isn't that weird? Isn't that yeah. weird? Well, I'll tell you, I, I think may, I'm afraid. I've told this story before. I'm afraid it's just bragging, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it seems relevant. <laughs> I haven't heard it. <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm just bragging. And I think it's a good story, but it's just me boasting. But I was 18. And I was a freshman in college and I had never, you know, I'd done high school, but it was a pretty not a great high school, but off to college. And we were taking Western Civ. And so we had to read an actual academic book, a small one where a guy had a thesis and he was, you know, laying it out. And it was that the spur, the invention of the spur ended the uh, Dark Ages. That some, you know, the little things you put on the, like that was his big theory and he laid it all out. And I oh, read, wow. I never read like academic writing. I'd read textbooks, but not academic writing. And I was so outraged. I went down to my professor and I said, this guy can't write. This is this makes no sense. And I think in retrospect, I was correct that there is a lingo that academics fall into. I was so pissed off. I knew I wanted to be a writer already. And I was like, I'm sorry. I said, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> okay. That's the end you're great, huh? Well, I was like, I don't care, man. I was so... I was so outraged that I was being made to read this. And I will say academics can fall into that. There's a certain, I don't know if you've ever encountered that with anybody, you because te- you don't do academics, do you? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably just as well. All right. So this book came out in August. Yes. And aside from talking to me, have you had a chance to talk to some people who've read it and like it. Have you had any kind of communication with your readership over this book? How's that going? It's only been out a month, but still. Yeah, I wish it were more. Um, we've had sure. some. We've had a couple good uh, podcasts. Good. Um, I had one just the other day with um, John Busby out of uh, Iowa. Don't know. They call a culture buzz. Okay. Very nice fellow. Really, 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 really nice fellow. And he had lots of wonderful things to say, which made me glow. Watching, yeah. <laughs> uh, we call it. Um, and I've had, you know, acquaintances. I have writing buddies who've read the book all the way through. They're not sure. going to read it again. You know, they're right. excused from that. Right. Um, but I know what they think of it. And I just got it from a friend. She's 90. And she's 93. I'm, I'm more of a friend with her husband, who is 91, I guess. And she just read it. I didn't think so. I sent him a book. But I right. No, they bought it. I didn't even send it. And I didn't think they'd read it. And she read it and she just was thrilled. She said, I couldn't put it down. And, you know, it wasn't a long note she sent me, but it was very nice. Was you know, it is. T- you know, here's the thing about being an author, which is so strange, is, you know, you don't know 
you're not going to know the effect. And I was, Richard Bach who said this to me. I mean, here's the thing. I'm not a huge, wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't really read his stuff until I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. He was such a sweet guy, but he mm-hmm. talked about like, you will never know most of the effect you ever have on anyone as a writer in particular, um, you know, that like, you just don't know, you know, you could have such a huge effect. I just met this woman. I'll try to make this short, but I met her at a conference I was teaching at this weekend. And I just wrote about it. And I'd written a piece in the New York Times about my autistic son and raising him called No One Is Broken. And it was very powerful to me when I came up with this concept. That's interesting given the title of your (laughs) book. But that was what I that was what I I called it. And and she was in the class and came up to me afterwards and she had read it. And that concept of not no one being broken changed the way she raised her son. And changed the way she talked about it. She kind of became evangelical about it, but she was not there because I was teaching it. She was just there to learn about procrastination, which she didn't realize I was the author until uh-huh. I started talking about my son. And uh-huh. she said, oh my God, you're the guy. Right? And it uh-huh. struck me as quite beautiful, but also like, you know, this is happening in the world. I wrote that thing. It was profound to me, but I don't know. That, it hadn't she never come up and said hello to me, I would have never known that was happening. Never known how it changed. the Never known any of that. And so much right. of what the way we affect people, you may never know the effect you have on so many lovely people who are moved by it, but never think to say thank you. They just never cross, never occurred to me to ever thank her. <laughs> Did you ever write to a writer? No, I guess I have. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> that's, that's a terrible confession, but you're right. I never I did. No, no, no. So I'm trying to say, look, there's people, this is such a beautiful book. There's no mm-hmm. way. There's no way it's not hitting people somewhere meaningful, but you just may never have any idea that it has done it. <laughs> can you can you live with that a little bit? Can that help a little bit? <laughs> well, I, I, I suspect I'll have to live with it, but no, I don't want to live with that. Right, no. you'd rather hear from one or two. <laughs> Damn right, I would like to hear People, from we love to hear from you. We really, it's not, <laughs> we're not, most of us are not so inundated from our fans that we can't appreciate it. <laughs> I assure you. Okay, so eight years toiling away sitting on on paragraph egg after paragraph egg they all hatched um are you do you feel another i know you're a short story guy you do a lot of short stories uh but do you feel another book brewing in you is it a possibility well here's 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 the the awful truth i have on my shelf four or five unfinished unpublished novels okay so i could publish one next month right if I find, if I find a publisher, um, I, I'm just working on a story now. I haven't written a story in a couple, few years, so I just started a story just last week, and that's kind of fun to get back into that again. Yeah. Um, as far as novels go, I have just put finished something I've been working on on and off most of my writing life. Um, it's a group of short stories that I've massaged into a novel, and I've just spent the last year. Uh, massaging these these stories that, that, that some of these stories go back 25 years of my life more than that probably um and then what i'm going to do now i think is work that work that over a little bit and see if i can you know come up with an agent come up with a publisher so that's kind of my, my all next right stuff. yeah well my friend you're a fabulous writer uh you tell a great story and if you are like me and you enjoy learning from a writer from time to time, I certainly learned. So thank you. You did great work. You did great work. I, I mean that sincerely. Um, but 
I'm not through with you, my friend. I'm not okay. through with you. I got one all more right. question for you. Uh, right. You've been writing a long time. So mm -hmm. I want you to think about all the writing you've done, all of it. And if it's taught you anything, just about being a human being, it's taught you what? Oh, good question, because the answer is yes. Um, not all the characters I draw. I draw characters which are not always the most pleasant people. I mean, you have to have a, 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 a variety of characters. But I have characters <clears throat> who are better men than I. And I have learned from my first novel, the character was France. France was a better man, is a better man. For me, it's present tense. They're, they're real people. <laughs> He's a better man than I, than I will ever be. But I learned from France to be a little better of a man. So, yeah, I mean, you do. You're writing about people. You're writing about real situations. Or people going through tougher situations than you may have gone through. Um, you have to be humbled by I mean, this this is, this is this is sort of deep stuff inside of us, and and and, be, and among us, between us as a community, and and yeah, yeah, I I think I think being a writer has changed me immensely. For the better, I think certainly did for me. Certainly, yeah. I will tell you all every time I teach my students. I think I don't know if they're going to publish. Really, I don't know how far they're going to go with this, but I feel like I'm teaching them something that is useful regardless of whether they ever right. really pursue it. That's how I feel about it. Oh, yeah. Well, Robert, this was a lot of fun. I'm so glad I had you on the show. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bill. This has really been fun. Has that ever happened to you? You wrote a character you think is sort of a better person than you and you learn from them. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? I think I know that I feel like when I'm writing, that's the best version of me. Yeah, that's what I think. That's a good answer. Great guy. Great, good, great book. Go check it out. Uh, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. And I want to thank all of you for listening, as always. You know, thanks for tuning in. Great having these this little time with you. So until next week, till next time, go find something you love to do and do it.